last several weeks, we've looked at some of the great teachings of Jesus, some of the great commands of Jesus. Today, we're going to kind of focus in on really the teaching technique that Jesus employs here, the use of parables. And if you didn't know, a parable is basically a kid's message for adults. There's an object lesson connected to a real-world application. And uh, today, the two object lessons that you see here that we just read, treasure in heaven and a pearl of great value. And to really understand what Jesus is trying to say here today, we have to look a little bit more intently at those two items because in the culture in which Jesus is first speaking to, it means a little bit more to them than it might for us today. For example, hidden treasure. This is before a world where there was any large banks, where there was digital currency. Everything was tied to the value of a commodity. And so if you inherited a large sum of money, if you paid were paid your salary like Roman soldiers were by the year or by the campaign, you were given a box full of gold coins and silver coins. And what do you do with those gold coins and silver coins if you can't go and deposit them at the bank? Well, you have to put them somewhere on your property, either in a home, some sort of primitive safe that you developed, or what was more often the case is you would go into a field, you would find a space where you didn't think anybody would ever dig it up, and you'd bury it in the ground. We know this from recent archaeological discoveries. For example, in Rome, a guy was walking through a field. He sees some shiny objects underneath a tree. He goes to explore, and he found over 200 Roman coins that a soldier had taken his year and a half worth of salary, put in a clay pot, buried it under a tree. And what archaeologists, historians believe happened is he probably went off to war and didn't come back. And for 2,000 years, these coins laid in the ground until they were discovered. And the pearl of great price also, you know, pearls are valuable to our culture today. You might have a pearl earring, a pearl necklace, but in those days, pearls were of extreme value. We know, for example, through history that Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt, had two pearls that it was said at the time were the most expensive pearls in all the world, valued in today's dollars between 25 and $30 million for two pearls. So when Jesus is talking here about a pearl of great price, of a treasure buried, this is more than, you know, the pirates of the Caribbean. This is more than the pearl earring that you go to buy at the jewelry store. These have immense value in the culture in which Jesus is speaking, and we have to understand that. Once we do understand that, then we're going to look at these two parables through the lens of this. There is actually a wrong way to interpret the parable. There's a right way then to interpret the parable. And once we understand the difference between the two, well, then it makes a huge difference for our lives today. This is going to be our focus. So open up your Bibles with you. Matthew chapter 13. Let's dive in on the very first point. There is actually the, a wrong way to interpret this parable. And the wrong way is this, to use what we'll call a religious interpretive lens. Religious interpretive ten, lens. Well, what's religion? A classical way to define religion is a set of beliefs concerning the nature, the purpose of life, and what I want to focus on here is the middle part, usually involving devotional and ritual observances. So under this classical definition, we could say here together that Christianity is a form of religion. We have ritualistic things we do. For example, you're all sitting here in church. This is the ritual of worship. We just had another ritual. Annabelle was baptized into God's kingdom. We baptize. We receive the Lord's Supper. These are all part of our religion, part of the Christian faith that you could say is ritualistic. But where this comparison begins to end 
is when we start talking about how a person is saved. Every religion, every world religion has some sort of means to an end where a person is saved, where a person receives enlightenment. You know, in, in Buddhism, you reach nirvana. Every single religion has a way in which you can complete something where you receive an eternal reward. And we'll just use one example, the religion of Islam. Every religion says that there are certain rituals that you must do in order to be saved. In other words, you have to perform the religion and the religious rites in order to be saved. For the uh, religion of Islam, there's what's called the five pillars. First of all, you have to profess your faith. You have to say that there is only one God and his name is Allah. Second of all, you have to pray, not once, but five times a day facing the east. You can't mess that up or you don't get the points. Number three, you have to give alms to the poor. You have to be generous of what you, God has given you. You have to give it back to the poor. Number four, there is fasting that's required throughout the course of your life as a way to atone for sins, as a way to show your devotion to God. And number five, you have to make a pilgrimage to the holy city of Mecca. There's five religious rites, five pillars of Islam. And if you do those things at the end of your life, whenever that would be, you may earn God's grace, you might earn his favor, and you might get to be in paradise with him someday. It's, it's a maybe, it's an unknown. Now that right there, that's a classical definition of religion. Doing the religious rites in order to earn God's love, in order to earn paradise. And of course, you know, if you are a Christian here today, if, if you know anything about Christianity, Christianity teaches the opposite. In fact, Jesus' most common teaching in the Gospels is that religion actually fails. That there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. That there's no amount of praying, there's no amount of fasting, there's no amount of pilgrimages, there's no amount of giving to the poor. Nothing you can do, no matter how good of a person you are, nothing, according to Jesus, I'm not saying this, this is Jesus, nothing in religion will save you. Religion fails you. What Jesus teaches then is that it's a relationship that actually saves you. It's the work that God has done in your heart that saves you. It's the work that God did on the cross that saves you, that he came down and rescues. Are you with me so far? Religious interpretive lens. Let's look at our text again. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. The one finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Now, let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. I won't put you on the spot, but just think with me. When you hear this parable read out loud, do you think anything like this? That... The man searching for fine pearls and the merchant who is out there doing the work, the guy who finds the treasure in the field, that is me. And the hidden treasure and the pearl, this is my faith in Jesus, or this is what Jesus has done in my heart, and this is my, my treasure because I know that Jesus loves me and that he died for me, and I better give up everything in order to follow Jesus, in order to keep Jesus, in order to retain this treasure and this pearl that Jesus has given me. Be honest today, again, you don't have to raise your hand, but did any of you interpret that in any sort of way like that? If you allow me to be so bold this morning to tell you that you're wrong, you're wrong. This is the wrong way to interpret this parable. And here's how I know this is true. Jump with me, Matthew chapter 19. 
Just a few months after Jesus teaches on this parable, Matthew chapter 19, the parable actually gets enacted out in real time. And if you jump with me in chapter 19, verse 16, text tells us that a young man comes to hang out with Jesus. He's heard that he's a great teacher. He's heard that he's doing great miracles. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You hear what he's asking? What good deed? What religious act must I do to have eternal life? And this is a question, look, across the world, people are asking this question. There's a few atheists in America, but by and large, the entire world's population believes in something. And we're all asking the same question. How do I become saved? How do I make good with God? How do I get to that paradise, that eternal life? We're all asking that question. This guy's no different. And he asked Jesus, what good thing, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you have to follow the commandments. All 10 of them, follow the commandments. And the guy gets all puffed up, and he, you can imagine a smile on his face. He's like, well, great. I follow the commandments. I go to church on Sunday. I honor the Sabbath. I honor my parents. I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen much. I don't covet my neighbor's thing. All these things. He's like, great, I'm in. But Jesus looks at him, and he says, not quite. He says, what you must do then is go sell all your possessions. In the Greek, it's the same word that he's using in this parable. The guy who sold everything, he's saying it to this man. Give away all your possessions Give them to the poor and then come follow me. And look down with me. The response of this man is very, very sad. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had too many possessions. He was extremely wealthy. And the thought of losing all those things, of actually giving away everything to follow Jesus, he couldn't do it. Now, Maybe some of you are sitting here going, well, that sounds kind of harsh. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, this doesn't sound like a very Jesus thing to do. Why would you let this guy go? And what Jesus is doing is teaching us here something because the disciples are asking the same question. They look at him, they're like, God, how is this possible? As good a guy as this was, I mean, as moral as he was, as good of a person as he was, he followed all the rules. If he can't be saved, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, verse 28, with man... This is impossible. But do you know the rest of it? With God, all things are possible. What Jesus is saying to them and what he's saying to us today, there is nothing we can do to be saved. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so we jump back to our text, Matthew 13, and this parable. And this tells us a little bit about the right way to interpret the passage. And in this case, what we're going to do is put Jesus in the place where we had ourselves before. Jesus is the one out looking for buried treasure. Jesus is the one out looking for the pearl of great price. And we are the hidden treasure. More personally, you are the hidden treasure. You are a pearl of great value. Listen to it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Do you see what Jesus is saying? You are of infinite value. You are beyond comparison, and I will do anything. I will exchange anything, even my own life, to win you to myself forever, to have you in my possession because you are so valuable. Don't you see? 
that I'll exchange my life for yours. And the key to understanding is really in this first parable here, verse 44, Jesus says this. He says, in his joy, the man gives away everything. Now think about this from a business perspective. Those of you who are in business, maybe you've traded stock market before, maybe you've bought some cryptocurrencies. Anytime in any situation where you have put yourself out there to try to make some more money, you took a loan out on your house, you engaged in a business deal, you didn't know how it was going to turn out, but you took a financial risk to make some money. That is not a joyful experience. We do not get the joy from making the sacrifice. That's actually, feel, it fills us with anxiety. To do, do that business deal, to, to put ourselves out there, to take this financial risk, we're, we're wondering inside, is it going to work out? How's it going to happen? Is my wife going to leave me? If it doesn't, you know, all these worries and fears that happen when we make these risks. The joy does not come from the risk-taking. For us as human beings on that side of the transaction, the joy comes when we receive the benefit of the risk that was taken. It's in the receiving that we get the joy. Do you notice what Jesus says here? He actually has joy in the giving which tells us a little bit about his heart. Hebrews 12:2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because you see, there's nothing that he wants more in this world than to have you forever. That you would know how much you are deeply and dearly loved. That there's nothing that you can do to separate you from him. There's no distance you can travel away from him. He will keep on pursuing you. Why? Because you are of infinite value to him. A treasure. A pearl of great value. So if this is what Jesus is saying, and I would submit to you today that in fact it is, then it should make a profound difference on the way in which we live our lives. Right now, today, you walk out this door, you can be changed forever. Let's just take a few as we close. Number one, your identity. You know, we talk about this a lot. I understand that in our congregation. We talk about it a lot because it's so in our faces in this world in which we live. You know, for example, Think of all the labels that get placed on us each and every day. Right now, the hot thing to talk about is gender. And we put labels of gender on us. Before that, it was sexuality. We want to put labels of sexuality. Before that, it was if you were married, if you were single. You know, all through the culture, every generation changes, and we put all these labels on ourselves. And the problem with these labels is that it's meant to invoke, it's meant to show you a little bit about who you are. It's meant to form an identity in you. That you are your gender, that you are your sexuality, that you are... That becomes number one in our life. What Jesus is saying is no. These labels mean nothing. The most important label that you can have, the most important label that you need to know is that you are a beloved treasure, that you are a pearl of infinite value, and this is going to form your identity. This of which everything else is going to flow out. Think about the regular world in which you live. What other labels do people place on you? If you're wealthy or not, if you're successful or not, if you make the grade or not, if you get to a certain college or not, if you make a certain sports team or not, all these labels all day long in the world in which we live, we are constantly placed with labels. What Jesus says is, no, this is a form of religious slavery. Free yourself. I'm sorry, be free of the labels. Because the only label that you need is to know that you are a beloved son or daughter of the king, and that is what gives you your value. Oh, treasure buried in a field, oh, pearl of great value. And then what about the labels you put on your own heart? You know, when you go home and you look in the mirror, what do you say to yourself? I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm old, I'm whatever. 
the labels that we put on our own heart and we think about the mistakes that we've made. Many of us are stuck here because we've done something that we're not proud of and we can't seem to forgive ourselves for the thing that we've done and we say to ourselves, oh, I'm a divorcee. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I hurt this person. Oh, I've done that. And, and that label that we put upon our heart, we look in the mirror and we see that sin, we see that shame. Jesus says, no, stop. I want to give you a new label, a lasting label, a perfect label. You are my beloved treasure in a field. You're my beloved pearl of great price. I will do everything I can to win you to myself forever. And one last thing. I think it makes a difference in the way in which we have purpose in this world. I was watching television the other day and I saw this commercial for a Hyundai Genesis. Really cool, slick car, pretty nice. And this guy's on the phone, he's making a business deal and his daughter interrupts him and he says, Dad, or she says, Dad, how big is the ocean? And this dad, because he's a good dad, he puts down his phone, he says, I'll have to call you back. They get into their fancy Hyundai Genesis and they go for a ride through the mountains, through the trees, a long journey. Finally, they get to the ocean. The daughter steps out of the car, she sees how big the ocean is, and this tagline comes up. It says, life is defined by the choices we make. Clever tagline. Problem is for me as a pastor, every time I see something that I disagree with, I put it through a lens of, oh, this will make a great sermon illustration. So I took a snapshot of it <laughs> because it filled me with spiritual pastoral rage. This is a horrible life message. This is religion. You're defined by the choices that you make? Are you kidding me? As I think of some of the stupid choices I've made in my life, thank God I'm not defined by those choices. And look, I can go out, I can buy the Hyundai Genesis, I can drive around, and I can, every time my daughter asks me a question, I'm going to take her on this object lesson, and before long, you're going to fire me as your pastor, and I'll be out of work, and I'll have to sell my Hyundai Genesis. It doesn't work. Life is defined by the choices that you make. No. What Jesus says to you through this parable is life is not defined by the choices that you make. Life is defined by the love that God has for you. That he would send his one and only son into this world to exchange his life for yours because you are of infinite value. So whatever choices that you make, you can find forgiveness, you can find grace by leaning heavy in the arms of your Savior, Jesus. Whatever label that you're putting upon your heart, you can find grace, you can find rest from those things as you look to the one who doesn't label you according to the world's standards, who labels him according to his own standard, a standard of love and of grace and of mercy and of truth. And it's in that wonderful image that we say amen.